It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Alvin Toffler once said, you've got to think about big things while you're doing small things so that all the small things go in the right direction. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We put out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. So, Jonathan, what's happening? What are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, Does God Really Love Humanity? Part 2. And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Does God really love humanity? And again, this is part two. Jesus was and is evidence of God's love for humanity. The proof is not just in the fact that he came to ransom us from sin and death. It's also displayed in how he taught us God's plan. Still, it's admittedly hard to grasp what God's plan is about, especially when Jesus spoke in parables. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first two of a string of five parables Jesus spoke to a very diverse audience of God's people. All of those stories were, as a whole, designed to show God's love for his creation. They were also to demonstrate to God's chosen their responses to that love. This proved to be a two-edged sword, as those responses, evidenced by our two parables today, were sometimes really bad. So, does Jesus pointing out glaring weaknesses in God's people actually display God's love That's what we're looking to find out. So in today's podcast, folks, let's face it. We have massive issues with entitlement, and they keep us from seeing God's love. Once we set the stage, our second segment story of the prodigal son reveals an ancient example of this serious modern issue. How about this? When's the last time you looked in the mirror to see how entitled you think you might be? Just because it may not be obvious doesn't mean it's not there. In the prodigal son parable, the older son teaches this to us in our third segment. And by the way, those of us who are all grown up and mature are not exempt from such self-lauding. Our fourth segment, Story of the Unjust Steward, shows us how this self-focus and laziness keeps us from God's love. So just get over yourself and let God love you. I've got to ask the question, How are you supposed to do that? Well, the answer is in our final segment. So, Jonathan, we do have our work cut out for us today. We do, Rick. And a quick recap from part one. And the stories of part one were, as you mentioned before, the lost sheep found in Luke 15, 3 through 7, and the lost coin, Luke 15, 8 through 10. And again, this week, you mentioned the prodigal son we'll be focusing on. 
uh, Luke 15, 11 through 32, and then later, the unjust steward today, uh, found in Luke 16, 1 through 15. So, good. We've got those four parables, two we've already covered, two we're doing today. And let's remember the audience. They're mixed, none of whom were truly following God and, and the Jewish law. And we find that in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, to review who Jesus is speaking to. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we told them this parable, saying... And then he goes on to the parable of the lost sheep. So we've got the tax collectors and sinners as one side of the room, and the Pharisees and scribes on the other side of the room, and probably the disciples are kind of right in between. So Jonathan... We, he starts with the parable of lost sheep. Tell us what, in a nutshell, what's that all about? Well, in part one, Rick, we found that the parable shows that the lost sheep represented the entire human race. Jesus leaves his heavenly home, recovers it, and returns to heaven. All of God's heavenly family rejoices. So that parable, even though it's very relatable as one sinner gone astray— and, and that's a nice story, and that may fit in another application, but not here. Jesus was specifically showing us the big picture and the fact that humanity was lost in relation to the rest of his uh, creation, and Jesus came to find it. So the initial uh, uh, peak into God's love was, I'm rescuing humanity. Then we had the parable of the lost coin uh, two weeks ago. What was that? Well, that's right, Rick. A parable about a woman losing one coin from her complete set of ten. It causes her to go to any length to find it. It represents how the human race, as part of God's intelligent creation, was lost and needed to be found to restore the harmony of his intelligent creation. So it gives us a sense of the mechanics of the lost humanity and how they belong as part of the harmony of all of God's creation. So those first two parables, Jonathan's are, Jonathan, are big picture focuses that we're all lost. It's not in line with God's harmony. God's plan, God's love is going to straighten all of that out. So what has Jesus taught us in this mixed audience so far? Just kind of sum it up. Well, you're all out of harmony with me. No matter how good or how bad you might feel about your current position, you still need me, that is Jesus, to restore you before me, God. Okay, so you need Jesus. They all needed Jesus. That was the lesson of those first two parables. And we were talking two weeks ago about you know God's love for humanity and, and talking about how it's expressed. And kind of the last expression of God's love for humanity those two weeks ago was what? Well, is expressed in the comprehensive detail of his powerful plan he has given us so we can know what's coming. And that's an important detail. We are given a plan, and we're also given inside information into this incredible plan. And, you know, it's like when you, whenever you get inside information to something big, what we ought to be thinking is, oh, this is cool. We have the inside story. Jesus is giving the inside story in these parables, so we need to pay close attention. So, 
Now, that's the recap. Now he continues, Jesus continues to tell another story. So we've got the foundation of all men being out of favor already stated, and Jesus now delves into what happened to Israel when given true opportunity from God. So he's now not just talking about, or not not specifically talking about the whole world being out of harmony, but remember, Israel was God's chosen people. That's right. And Israel now... The chosen ones are out of harmony. So it's like you can't win no matter where you look. The whole world's in bad shape. Israel's chosen. They're given the law. They're given all these things. And now they're in bad shape. And that's what Jesus goes to next. Luke 15, 11. It, you know what? And this verse is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. And he said, a man had two sons. Lots to talk about with that. <laughs> <laughs> See, all of Israel, again, were God's children. The two classes Jesus was speaking to represented the two sons. So the older son, Jonathan, who, who would they have been? That would have been the scribes and Pharisees. They were more outwardly in line with God. Okay, they kind of looked more the part of being God's chosen ones because they at least claimed to follow the law. And on the outside, they did the things that you would do to show that you follow the law. Well, we'll see what happens in the parable to show us there's more to that story. So that okay. older son, the Pharisees, and the scribes. So the younger son, what, what's the story with the younger son? Well, they're the rebellious and the independent. They're the tax collectors and sinners who treated God loosely. So they didn't pay much attention to the law. No, they didn't. And what we're going to see is that rebellion was something that was not only clear, but it was very much instantaneous in the parable. And what it does is it sets them off on an entirely different track. Now remember, when Jesus is telling a story to a mixed audience, he is an artist with words. Because you've got these all these different people, and it's amazing how the way he tells a story will draw every single one of them in. So, you know, when we look at this whole thing, what we see is this. Jesus' message is changing. It's getting more focused. See what God has done for you? What do you do for him? This third story of the prodigal son was very relatable. What would his audience have been thinking? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. The two groups in Jesus' audience were very different. This story would draw in the self-proclaimed entitled leaders leaders immediately while capturing the imagination of the rest. Jesus attracted the clear attention of both groups by showing them their roles. He would then show them their entitlement issues. And, Jonathan, we really are going to be looking at entitlement issues. Let's face it, Rick. We have massive issues with entitlement, and they keep us from seeing God's love. You know, and that is one of the basic premises of this entire podcast. It's about entitlement. And what we're going to see is entitlement is not a new thing. We're going to see that it is an ancient, ancient reaction and response that doesn't bring you very far. 
So to get started with just understanding entitlement, then looking at it develop in scriptures, we're going to go to a, this was actually on Fox 4 in Dallas, uh, I think two or three years ago. The Entitlement Cure, uh, this is, guest is uh, John Townsend who wrote a book called The Entitlement Cure. And so in this short soundbite to begin, he's going to give us a little sense of entitlement and, and, and they're going to be talking about a basic definition. Let's talk about what entitlement is. And if you've got a real quick definition, is it's two things. Denying responsibility for your choices and demanding special treatment. We all do that sometimes. Yeah, well, there's like normal levels of entitlement. We're yeah. just human. But then there's toxic levels. And that's when it starts to impact work and family and parenting and careers and this sort of thing. So when I deny that my response, that my, my actions impact you, I'm entitled because I do impact you and you impact me. Right. Uh, and, and when you say the word entitlement, a lot of people of a certain age will immediately say, oh, this is a book to fix those millennials at my, at my job. That's what this is all about. Right. And it is not what I did a lot of research on this. We found out that every demographic has it, but I know people in their mid-twenties that are like really cool and hardworking, roll up their sleeves, they're mm -hmm. driven. I know people in their eighties that are just absolute nightmares. So it's a human problem, not a millennial problem. You know, and, and I think that's a really important thing. We, we like to say, yeah, these young folks, they are all entitled, blah, 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 blah. His point is really simple. When we're always pointing at someone else, there are three <laughs> fingers pointing back to us, yeah, Rick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it really is. It really, really, really is. Take a look in the mirror because this can happen to anyone. And it's ancient. It's ancient. And just to make it dramatic, it's ancient this wow idea. that was dramatic yeah well I, thank you thanks so much <laughs> i try really hard you know <laughs> so let's take a look at the drama at the beginning of this parable of the prodigal son and you know the drama just starts right at the very beginning the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the estate that falls to me okay so he's got two sons and we were talking about the older being the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were kind of established and the younger being the more rebellious tax collectors and sinners. So in this story, the younger says to the father, hey, I want my share of the estate right now. And, you know, so he's basically saying to his father, hey, I know this stuff, everything belongs to you and I know I'm supposed to inherit it when you die, but I want you to give it to me right now. It doesn't matter to me that you're alive. I still want what's going to be mine and I want it to be mine right now. Well, Rick, I have a personal story along those lines. Someone in my own family asked that very question, and I'm not saying to whom or who, but real life, it happens. Yeah, a, and, and that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, I'm sorry, that's a sad story, my friend. It is. And, heartbreaking. But see, the key is that sad story happened 2,000 years ago as well. That same attitude existed 2,000 years ago. So the father is faced with this, and what does he do? Let's continue. We're reading from Luke chapter 15, totally in this part from verses 12 to 13. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. So he gets his stuff, and then his reaction is, I'm out of here. And he just packs it up, and he goes, and he squanders things. And you think about this, how easily the tax collectors and sinners could see themselves in this action. They could see themselves away from God. Jesus is talking about them, and I have a feeling they know it. And they're probably squirming a little bit. Now, what about the scribes and Pharisees? What do you think their, their response would have been? 
Well, they might have smiled in knowing, uh, nodding agreement as they heard this. You know, they're like, yeah, see, yeah, those guys did do that. Hey, this might be a good story. Let's pay attention. So you've got the attention of the of the sinners because the tax collectors and sinners because they're feeling like, ooh, this is about us. And the scribes and the Pharisees are going, hey, this is about them. We like stories about them. <laughs> no, seriously, you know. It's, Sad. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about entitlement on several levels. And to illustrate the point that it's not something brand new, somebody, one of our contributors, sent me a soundbite from an Andy Griffith television show. And that's either late 50s or early 1960s. Long time ago. Long time ago. Uh, you know, Opie, the little boy, Opie, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is, yeah. Opie Taylor is, is, I think he must be six or seven or whatever in this particular episode. And the episode starts out where a friend of his rides up on this shiny, beautiful new bike. And, you know, Jonathan, back then they would have called it a two-wheeler. And he had the tassels on the things and he had the little bell thing and the you know, the reflectors. reflectors. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. So, so this is where the scene begins between Opie and his friend, and his friend is showing him his new bike. Hiya, Taylor. Hi, Arnie. Gosh, you must have been saving up for it since you was a kid. My dad bought it for me. Come on, Taylor. Up on the rack and I'll give you a ride. I can't. I got to get this garage cleaned up. What happens if you don't? I don't get my quarter this week. Kids aren't supposed to work for their allowance. My pa is awful busy. Maybe he hasn't heard this new stuff. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, I'll ask him. Take it from me. Talking is a waste of time. You have to take action. Kicking a table leg, uh, rolling around on the floor, kicking your feet, pretending you can't stop crying. Gosh, I don't know. Oh, for crying out loud, Taylor. Hey, Arnold. Take it easy, Arnold. I didn't mean to say nothing wrong. Get the idea? So, you know, he shows him how to be entitled. He said, look, all you got to do is make a scene. All you got to do is, is act like you can't stop crying. Throw a tantrum. So, you know. So you get what you want. Right. And it, the point is, don't have to work for it. You just have to be smart about it. And, and, you know, we think about that now and we think, oh, what a, what a tragedy we're having right now. Back then, the same tragedy occurred. 2,000 years ago, the same tragedy occurred. The point is that entitlement has existed. And I will tell you that in my mind, the first entitlement action was that of Satan when he said, I will be like the Most High. He had no right to being like the Most High. He was given responsibility, took it out of context, and he saw himself as more than he should have and could have been. And it ended up being disastrous. So he gives us the example of entitlement. So we've got this younger son who takes his money and runs, and he goes into this distant country, and he squanders the estate with loose living. So now we're going to have the inevitable crash and burn. There's always an eventual result of, and this is an, always an eventual result of claiming entitlement. There's always a crash and burn. Luke fifteen fourteen through 16. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Okay, so famines eventually occur when entitlement reigns. 
Whenever we get this sense of reaching for and wanting and hoarding more than we have worked for or earned, there's eventually going to be a famine in the land. And I think Jesus is telling us that using the, the, the Jewish nation and their straying as a really good example of that here. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. So it's interesting. It says, and Jesus says so much in so few words. You know, if I could speak as clearly and succinctly as Jesus, our podcast would be 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You see how far off I am, okay? (laughs) But see, you know, he becomes, he says, so he goes out and hires himself to one of the citizens of that country. So this young Jewish man in the parable is now a servant or a slave of a pagan individual. He is working under the uh, the the um, the auspices of somebody that's outside of God. What happens next? And he sent him into his fields. Okay, so that's where he gets sent. And then incidentally, when you're working out in the fields like that, you're far away from the fun because he went there to spend his money on the fun. No fun there. To feed the swine. To feed now, Jews were not allowed to keep or eat swine. So in this godless place. Survival naturally comes from engaging in unclean activities. He is going as far away from the law as he possibly can, building on all the things he already did that were far away from the law. He did those other things out of that sense of entitlement. Now he does those things far away from the law out of a sense of desperation. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. So he's broke, he's hungry. And he's alone. You know, the sinners and the publicans were probably squirming as the scribes and the Pharisees may have been gloating, saying, wow, Jesus really got this one. You know, and they should be squirming because they're so far off. Well, Rick, sometimes hitting bottom is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and without it. And, and oftentimes hitting bottom can lead you in the right direction. Um, my personal story, that's when I turned to the Lord, and that's just what I needed to wake up, Rick. And, you know, that is such an important point, because when you hit bottom, there's no place further down to go. You have to turn around and begin to look up if you're going to go anywhere at all. And that's what Jesus is showing in this story. He's showing that hitting bottom for those of the chosen ones who had strayed so far and so easily. So now we move to Luke fifteen seventeen through 19. And again, we'll take this in pieces. But when he came to his senses... Okay, so after learning the harsh lessons of a life lived in complete, total, utter, chaotic idolatry. I mean, everything he did, the spending, the, the, the requesting of the money was idolatry. The leaving of his father's house was idolatry. The, the loose living was idolatry. Everything was idolatry. So after he learned these harsh lessons, what does he do? He said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. So his first thought is about accepting the lowest level of servitude. Because he says, How many of my father's hired men? See, there was a difference. If you were a slave, you were actually one step below being part of the family in the Jewish culture. If you were a hired hand, you were paid for the day's work, and you'd have to go find another day's work another place. So the hired hand was actually a lower position than the slave because there was much less security. So he 
is realizing that I'll just be the lowest person on the totem pole because at least that's something valuable. So it's really interesting how he sees life and he says, ah, this is where I should be going. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So you have this speech that he is willing and ready to give. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of sonship. Please have mercy and just give me a job. I don't care if I don't have security, at least give me a job. Give me something to do that's productive and strong. So this story shows the crash and burn that sin brings. So what's God's love for humanity? What is shown in this, in this part of the, the parable of the prodigal son? Can begin to be approached by being entirely honest with ourselves when we realize the depth of our own sin and folly. Now we must prepare to boldly face accountability. So we can begin to approach the love of God by being honest with ourselves and being willing to be accountable. And that's what this younger son was doing. He was willing to be accountable. And so now his thinking is much clearer because he's, he's a broken man. Clear and humble thinking becomes decisive and bold action. We go to Luke 15, now verses 20 through 24. So he got up and came to his father. Now, remember it said he went to a far country. So he's working his way back. Can you imagine all of the rehearsing he would have been doing as he's going back? And this is what I'm going to say. And this is how I'm going to say it. And I've got to be really humble because I really messed up so badly and I need to just beg for mercy. I mean, he's, he's probably playing this thing over again and again and again in his mind. And so what happens? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, see, this is where the shock value of the story comes in. Who would have thought that the father would have seen him afar off? That kind of indicates that the father's looking for him. That's right. You know, he's out there wondering, where's my son? Where is my son? It shows the father's love. And so the son, the, go ahead, the son comes in. Yeah, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what? And then the father interrupts him. He can't even well, finish his speech. Oh, no. He had it rehearsed. Yeah, he was ready. He was. And he was sincere. So he can't finish because his father loves him so much. And when we say, you know, does God really love humanity? Look at this story and the straying of the Jewish people at that point and see how Jesus is describing it. And here's what happens. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. So, I mean, it goes completely differently than the son had anticipated, but it is a beautiful difference. It is a loving, merciful difference. And this, again, is an expression of God's love for humanity. So, Jonathan, God's love for humanity, what? Well, Rick, it can begin to be understood when we seek him out in full repentance. Full 
repentance. Let's keep that in mind. Matter of fact, next week we're going to be talking about living a repentant life. So this is an important sort of introduction for that. But that's where we begin to find the love of God. So even though this was a story for the straying Jewish people of that time, its lessons are for, for us are unmistakable. Humility reunites a family and God's love prevails, a perfect setting for a happily ever after, right? As we keep this podcast conversation going, this very brief break allows us to tell you more about one of your hosts, Rick. Aside from being a student of the Bible for nearly 50 years, did you know he only drinks decaf coffee? Can you imagine if that detailed, passionate about extensive research in the Bible mind added caffeine to the equation? Jonathan would probably never get a word in. So thank you, Rick, for staying away from caffeine. As a listener, you never have to worry about making your voice heard. We love to answer your questions and respond to your comments at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Let's throw it back to Rick and Jonathan. See, here Jesus' whole point is to show God's love, but he's showing it in a stark contrast to the reactions and responsiveness of those whom God has chosen. See, this story will reveal the sad truth of an entitlement mentality long before anyone ever thought about it, as this story is about the hearts of men. And it's really important to realize that this is a universal story about the hearts of men. And, and Jonathan, before we go further, I just want to you know, make a comment on that, that last little, uh, that little blurb in between. Info about you? Yeah, you know, you know if, if I did have caffeine, I would say a whole lot more words and wouldn't say one more thing of any value. <laughs> 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 just saying. <laughs> anyway. Well, when is the last time you looked in the mirror to see how entitled you think you might be? Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> and me. I'm you know, looking in the mirror. You know, and that, that's a really important question because we can look at a story like this and say, oh, those poor people who do those things. But the point of the story, as we soon shall see, is that it's not just about those poor people because we're all, in one way or another, some manner of those poor people. And we have to realize that and be willing to embrace it. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's talking to a Jewish audience. He's talking about their straying away from the law. So it's very specific. But the dynamics of the lesson really resound in our lives. Let's go to a soundbite um, from the Greater Good Science Center. And it's dealing with entitled kids. And we're starting out with Entitlement toward kids because it's something that we all can look at and it's, and it's kind of simple. We'll get to entitlement and adults in just a, a few more minutes, but fostering gratitude is the theme of this particular soundbite. I think one of the most consistent complaints that I hear about this generation of children that's being brought up is that they can sometimes be entitled brats, that they can act a little ungrateful for all that we do for them and how much we care about them. And as parents, this can be a very frustrating experience to be raising a child and bringing, you know, giving them everything and um, feeling like they're not thankful for it. So how do we combat entitlement? Well, I think of the opposite of entitlement as being gratitude. And so one way to combat entitlement is to foster gratitude in our children. And Jesus is actually teaching us that for adults. He's teaching us to foster gratitude. That's one of the lessons of the parable of the prodigal son. So the lesson so far, 
For the tax collectors and sinners, it was welcome news. There's like a happy ending here. No matter how far they had run from their father to fulfill their fallen desires of their hearts, they now saw a way back. And Rick, Jesus is assuring them that what they've been hearing from John the Baptist and himself was true. And, you know, it's interesting because this whole point, I'm glad you brought that up, this whole point started with John the Baptist and giving them a sense of, here's what you have to do. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, the kingdom of heaven was in the it was because of Jesus' presence. And so, in Luke, 13, uh, Luke chapter three, verses ten to thirteen, it's more of the 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 work of John the Baptist. But think about what he's showing them about gratitude, about about being thankful and grateful for what they have, and using it in, in a good way. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, "Then what should we do?" And he said. Say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. So he's telling everybody to act justly, to be to be above board, to be generous and grateful uh, for their opportunities. And so John really did set the stage for what Jesus was bringing. So with the stories, back to the prodigal son, with the story's gracious reunion, we would expect the Pharisees and scribes to actually become perturbed because that's what entitlement produces. And what we're saying is the prodigal was not the only entitled one here. The older son was just as entitled in his thinking. So they're perturbed. We, we, we see that happening. We know that after the parable. But uh, this is right on time for what Jesus would say next. Back to the parable, Luke fifteen twenty five to 28. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. See, now here's the point at which the character of the older son will be revealed. And the real question is, are you a loving brother or are you an entitled son? There's only two choices here. What happens? But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. So the older son is angry. He's not the loving brother. He's the entitled son. And it says his father began pleading with him. And Jonathan, the idea of pleading is, is, is what? What's the general idea of that? Well, it means to call near, that is to invite, to invoke him, to so, join them. So he's really, he's not just saying, oh, come on. He is engaging with passion to say, really, this is so important. You know, th- there's that pleading sense going on. So, and, and you think about it, how often did God plead with Israel? How about for three and a half years, <laughs> <laughs> his, his ministry from age 30 to 33 and a half of trying to show grace and mercy to them. So in their lifetimes right then, there was this continual pleading from God through Jesus to come back to the centerpiece of what they needed to find, which was the Messiah. Throughout history, there were the prophets that would always come to try to set them straight. God always was pleading with his people. Now, here you're pleading with the ones who are supposed to be the ones who are in order. 
and yet they need to be pleaded with. So what's the older son's argument? I am entitled. Okay, well, there you have it. It's <laughs> not sad. Very, it is. It's sad. Luke 15, again, now 29 to 30. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. So it's interesting because the, the, the son, he's angry, and he says to his father, I have worked for you all this time, and I haven't gotten even, and of course I'm going to exaggerate here, I haven't even gotten a skinny, scrawny little goat to celebrate with my friends. I mean, you're taking advantage of me. You're, you're, you're not re- responding and respecting all that I do. And then in verse 30, again, we see that older son's character really come out, and it's not pretty. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. So it's not when my brother came home. It's when this son of yours came home who had such licentious living and who made such a mess of things, you killed the fatted calf. Now remember, in Jewish households of the time, they often kept one fatted calf put aside for that 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 event that might come up somebody would come to visit that they didn't expect and you'd want to have that calf ready to slaughter and to eat so and rick i don't know this sounds so immature this approach this this answering back to his father just sounds childish well and it is and folks and that's the point of the story jesus is telling israel all of israel you have been childish in your privilege of being my chosen that's what he's telling them you've acted like little children i want my stuff and i want it right now i don't care you know and then when when you have what you have and and someone else you know is given something special you get all all bent out of shape so jonathan here here here's the statement that i think sums up this part of the story it's easy to overlook our lifetime of privilege when we see someone enjoy a moment of acceptance. Wow, that's deep. It's easy to overlook our lifetime of privilege when we see someone enjoy a moment of acceptance. If we fall into that, we have fallen into the entitlement that brings us away from the love of God. And this is a test. This was a test for the older son who represented the Pharisees and the scribes, and Jesus knew that they would be angry. And he's saying, you see what you are doing. You are not living in the love of God. You are doing the lip service to the love of God. And I'm showing you that needs to be corrected. And our take home is we better not fall into the same trap, right? right? Yes, yes, absolutely, positively. Don't try this at home. That's really what this comes down to. Okay, let's go back to dealing with entitled kids from Greater Good Science Center. Uh, we talked about fostering gratitude, and now she's going to bring it a step further. Now, there is something of what I think of as an abundance paradox happening right now in that our kids have so much 
even even kids in the United States who seemingly don't have a lot have a lot more than they do in some of the developing nations, for example. And that this abundance that our children have makes it more likely that they will feel disappointed when they don't get what they want than they will feel grateful when they do. So gratitude is one of those emotions that arises really naturally in conditions of scarcity. So you don't find a lot of picky eaters among kids who are food insecure, who are hungry. So um, so what do we do when our kids have so much? We don't want to create this condition of scarcity. We it's great for them that they have this abundance. What we need to do is consciously cultivate that gratitude in them, to give them habits, routines, situations in their regular daily and weekly life, which foster the emotion of gratitude. So, Jonathan, there's something very important about that, this abundance paradox. When you've got everything, it's really easy to assume that you deserve everything, and you don't. You know, wouldn't it be great if um, a mother would pack a lunch for a child and say, I'm giving you something extra. And if you see someone that looks hungry or in need, why don't you give that to them? You know, wouldn't that be just a beautiful way to show compassion to the child that has this beautiful lunch prepared from their mother. You're right. You know, and there's so many things that we can do to to put ourselves into that into that mindset of appreciation. And God, through the parable that Jesus is telling, is saying to Israel, you are not in any manner of appreciation of what I have given you. Those of you who have run off and those of you who have stayed behind, you're all unappreciative. Actually, it's interesting because Trish just handed me a question, which is perfectly timed. She said, okay, you know, the, the younger son comes back and he's celebrated. She says, what's the consequence for the younger son's sin? The father celebrates his return. The brother's resentful because he feels he doesn't deserve a celebration. And that's a good point. So how do we manage that? What is the consequence? Because, you know, you're thinking, yeah, it's like he got away with something. Well, let's think about this. Let's go to Luke 15, verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. So let's pause because that tells us the consequence the younger son now had no further inheritance. That's the consequence. He lost everything. While he's still a son, the father says to his older son, I st- everything I have is yours. So whatever new wealth we create, it's still going to be yours. So the older son still had this great opportunity before him. The younger son had the opportunity of being reinstated and had to live with his mistakes. That is an enormous consequence. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. See, that's God's love in action. This parable is about being lost and being found and being resentful, but it's showing us ultimately God's love. So, but we had to rejoice, then finish. For his brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So remember in verse 30 when the, the, the older brother said, well, this son of yours came and you did all, who was so awful and you, you know, you killed the fatty calf. The, the, the father says, well, this brother of yours in response was dead. In other words, he's your brother. He's your brother. Respond with respect and love to your brother, because he says he was dead, and he's begun to live. You know, the word for live, Jonathan, is really kind of cool here. What does it mean? 
It means to enjoy real life, to have true life, and worthy of the name. So, in other words, he has finally begun to live a life of value. Because his repentance was complete, he's willing to have nothing going forward. And, and, and by mercy, God, the Father says, you're still my son. But, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful story. There are consequences, but there's the beauty of forgiveness based on such complete repentance. So what's God's love for humanity? How is it shown here? It's expressed in powerful compassion, as well as a just and equitable plan. Loyalty is rewarded with inheritance, and repentance is rewarded with opportunity. Both ways there's a reward. Now there's a consequence on both sides of the story, but there's a tremendous reward as well. This is a powerful expression of God's love, even though it comes through the harshness of human reactions, in this case the Jewish nation, to God's plans. This is a humbling and sad conclusion to what should have been a happy ending. Am I ever like that older son? The older son is mad, and the younger son is unexpectedly happy. What's the bottom line lesson? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. The big lesson here really focused Jesus' audience on looking in the mirror. The tax collectors and sinners had openly rebelled against their chosen people's status, and they needed repentance and forgiveness. The Pharisees and scribes had covertly rebelled by outwardly doing godly things, but doing them with a stony heart. They too needed repentance and forgiveness. So everybody's in the same boat, ironically, because they all had gone away from God, and that's the picture of the Jewish nation. By the way, Rick, those of us who are all grown up and mature are not exempt from such self-lauding. Okay, we're not. We, we can all fall into that mistake. Why did I say that? Why didn't I take the moment to honor the Lord instead of talking about me? Yeah, and, and we, we do need to be really, really careful. And again, God's love is expressed in the discipline that he gives to teach. And with the nation of Israel, it was harsh discipline. But that's the way God loves us, because we need that to grow. And you're right, for us the lesson is the same. Am I at all rebellious, squandering my God-honoring privilege and needing repentance and forgiveness? Am I complacent in my accomplishing of what needs to be done in God's service, but doing it with a heart of stone and therefore needing forgiveness? Jonathan, oftentimes it's not necessarily what we do that is important, but really how we do it from the inside out. That's the measurement that God is looking at. And this parable is showing us that that's how he judged Israel at the time. 
from the, the heart, inside out. Heart intent. Yes. I love that. We're judged on the heart and intent, even We're, though we can, you know, fumble and make mistakes. Or even though we can kind of do the right things. It's what's on the inside. So let's be careful because by just doing the right things with the wrong heart, we can be entitled. And that's exactly what happened here. So God's love for humanity's expression here is what? Is expressed in the clarity with which he reveals not only privileges and inheritance, but also the honesty with which he reveals our human weaknesses and lack. So God's love is expressed when he corrects. And that's part of this particular parable. So we've wrapped up that story. That's the third of the four parables that these two episodes are, are dealing with. Jesus' next story is in, the, is in the same context as the others, but directed to a different part of his audience. Luke 16, verse 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Okay, so he's saying to his disciples now. Now, this is interesting because however the crowd is set up, he's now looking at his disciples. He's still talking about the overall environment and the overall picture, but he's looking right at his disciples. So let's, let's kind of set the people in the story so we know who we're talking about. So, Jonathan, who is the rich man in this next story? Well, Rick, that would be God. Okay, so the rich man in this next story who had a manager— Who's the manager in this next story, the manager or steward? The Pharisees and scribes. Okay, because they were the ones in control. And then later on in the story, we find out that there are individuals with accounts that are overdue. Who would those... And, Go ahead. Yeah, that, that would be the sinners and tax collectors, yeah. Okay, so we've got the same group being shown to us in this next story. So now, before we get to this, we're going to go now to some adult entitlement in our world. This is from The Entitlement Cure. Uh, this is a book by a gentleman by the name of John Townsend. He's being interviewed on Fox 4 Dallas a few years ago. And uh, he's talking about a young man who's on a very professional job interview. And here is how he's describing what's happening. Listen to this. This is just fascinating. Sad, but fascinating. Um, you have some outlandish other examples, though, like a guy, you tell the story about this guy who went in for a job interview, was turned down by the job because he, he spent 20 minutes of the job interview texting while the HR manager... He's in front of the desk like this. During a job interview. Professional income job. Right, right. And, and then after the HR person said, you know, this probably just isn't a good fit for us, the, the HR person got a phone call. Yeah, guess who from angry mom who said you don't understand how special our kid is and that was the big job dropper. my wife told me the story because the HR director was a friend of hers and the, the problem is you understand the kids got a lot of learning to do but the mom has to take some responsibility you know what <laughs> I just can't even fathom that so his last text was mom I didn't get the job <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah probably was you're right and, I'm going to call that guy. <laughs> you know, and, and, but, but see, the whole point was he was so self-absorbed that he could not get outside of himself to address the task potentially at hand. The opportunity was laid out before him, but his self-absorption did not allow him to own the opportunity. We can do that. The Israel did that. In Jesus' time, that's exactly what they did. They were texting instead of listening to the words of Jesus. That's what happened 
And that's why they were cast off. So in this story, this next story, Jesus is extending the warning even further, specifically to the Pharisees and to the scribes. He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. He's also telling them how they should be acting in light of their soon-to-be-lost favor. So now we go to this story, uh, into the body of the story of the unjust steward, Luke chapter 16, verses 2 to 4. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So it's kind of like that job interview we just talked about. This isn't going to work out. This is the conclusion. Okay, he's saying, I want an accounting, and no matter what, you are not going to have a job after you're done. Because you've proven to me that you've not done well. I just want to see your final records before I send you out the door. That's a pretty harsh thing to have happen. So what happens? The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. You know, and that's interesting. That's honest work of an average person in those days. Kind of like the prodigal son. You know, he, was, he, he did anything. You know, but this guy's saying, well, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. It's kind of interesting that in the next parable, there's a beggar. Just, just saying, Jesus has a way of tying all these things in together. I know what I should do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he's now got a plan. Why? Because he's panicked. This is a panicked approach. How will I live without this most favored position that I have? Well, Rick, now he's acts responsible? Yes. After he's going to be kicked out, fired, lose the job? Yes. Yes. Now it's finally like, okay, I had better do something valuable now because I'm out of time. I have milked this opportunity as long as I can without producing And now I had better do something responsible. You're right. So now he finally gets up and does something responsible. And at at first glance in the parable, you think, wait a minute, is this really responsible? But but let's let's go through. You'll see the, the brilliance of it all. Luke 16 now, verses 5 through 7. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. Okay. This is a long overdue action. These people had owed for a long time, and that's why the master is firing them, because these were accounts that were unsettled, and they needed, they should have been dealt with months and months and months ago, but they weren't. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So what he does is he discounts their their payments. So now these actions are actually simple, good business. He's using business savvy here. This is what he should have been actively doing all along. To sh- and it shows that he had an ongoing lack of respect for his master. And he had a whole lot of personal laziness. If you can't get what somebody owes entirely, you get what they can pay. You, you, you settle it so that you can move on, and it's not a complete loss. That's a business principle. It's not the most fun business principle, but now the steward's looking at this saying, well, if I do that for these folks, these folks will like me. Well, what about your master, <laughs> the one who was paying you to take care of business? He didn't care. He didn't work, and it all caught up with him. And this is showing 
the Pharisees. These actions are just simple, and they show a lack of respect for the job that he had. So, what happens? Luke 16, verse 8. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So that's kind of an odd sentence. And you look at that and saying, what is Jesus saying? And I think Jesus' point is this. Sadly, those in the business world were more astute regarding responsibility than those tasked with being stewards over God's favored ones. These, the stewards, demean and shun those who are past due. You know how the the Pharisees and scribes treated the the tax collectors and sinners? Yeah, like dogs. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. Instead of working with them to help them reestablish and restore their favorable standing with God, because they're still Jews, and they could be brought back to favor if they were only given attention. But they they just didn't do it, didn't do their job. So... Jesus is revealing the lack here, and it's a very powerful lack. And it's also an expression of God's love for for humanity. How so? It's expressed in his embracing mercy as a major part of his just plan. See, God's justice has mercy as one of the top functioning pieces of it. And we understand that what Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the scribes, now he's talking to his disciples. You say, well, why would he be talking to his disciples if he's talking about those guys? Because he's teaching them what they should and should not do because they're going to be the stewards later on. Okay, that's what we're going to get to in the next segment. But he's telling them, look at the failure and learn the appropriate lesson from it because God's plan embraces justice and mercy. God does love humanity. And once again, an ancient parable of Jesus helps us to see the danger of ever seeing ourselves as entitled. This is a very blunt judgment on the part of Jesus. What is he telling the Pharisees and scribes to do? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. Jesus, through these four parables, has painted the big picture of God's love with the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then he painted the smaller, personally relevant picture of responsibility to that love in the prodigal son and now the unjust steward. He's showing his audience where they are, and he's showing them what to do about the position that they have. So, Again, he's speaking to his his disciples, and he's telling them, learn from the mistakes of those that have gone before you. Just get over yourself and let God love you. How are we supposed to do that? And, you know, that's such a simple statement. Look, just get over yourself and let God love you. Really, that's what it comes down to. Now, getting over yourself means doing what you're supposed to do with the heart that you're supposed to do it. Okay? 
that's getting over ourselves. When we when we're not getting over ourselves, we're entitled and we see things as my mine, 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 not honoring God, honoring God, honoring God, honoring God. So we need to understand the clarity of this. So again, Luke sixteen, verse nine, as we begin to wrap this parable up. And I say to you to his disciples, not to the Pharisees. Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it falls, they will receive you into their eternal dwellings. Okay, so that's a tough verse. Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they'll receive you into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? I have poured over this verse a lot and looked at it and looked up the words and looked at the context and put it all together. So let, let me give you a, a, um, a paraphrase of this verse. This is a Rick paraphrase, okay? I tell you, my disciples, be merciful to and honest with all whom you have dealings. Don't look down on those who are not in your position. Once this world and the comparably small responsibilities we bear in it passes, you will be received into a heavenly reward for so doing. So, Jonathan, it's saying, be gracious, be merciful as you are being just in all that you do, and God will reward you. That makes so much sense. That that's, sounds to me Christ-likeness it yeah. is exactly where that fits. And, and remember, the, 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 the Jews were not following that. Jesus' message is, don't do what your predecessors are doing, for they have lost the privilege of stewardship as a result. Instead, see others as I, Jesus, see them. Okay. See others as I see them. And God's love is reflected through the sight of Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he's saying, especially, now this is Peter speaking much later on, especially when you are in the company of Gentiles, of those who are not believing, make sure that your behavior is stellar and godly and merciful and clear and full of integrity so they can look at that and say, wow, that's something special. They may not say that now, but they will say that later. So again, Jesus is teaching his disciples to not be like those that went before them, to rise above all of the entitlement and all of the laziness and all of the selfishness and all of the ego and be something higher. So how do we look at this in terms of God's love for humanity? Well, Rick, it's expressed in the mercy and understanding shown to others by his chosen ones who represent his purposes. We are expressions of God's love for humanity. And if we're not living as such, maybe we are feeling a little bit entitled. And if we are, danger, Will Robinson. (laughs) Just don't go there. Warning, warning. Yeah, that's right. That's not a good place to be. So let's go to one last soundbite from The Entitlement Cure, the book by John Townsend. He's being uh, interviewed in Fox 4 in Dallas, I think, again, again, a couple of years ago. But this is, he's talking about the cure. 
The problem here is that somebody who has that attitude, you call it the entitlement cure, that's got to come from inside because you are never going to convince that person that they have this disease. Right, right. Sooner or later, you have to be in a context where they know you like them and you're for them. If you're mad at them all the time, they withdraw. Right. But secondly, you've got to show them that they are responsible for their actions and for their future because they don't think about the future very much. Right, and maybe when they hit enough dead ends, it might dawn on them that maybe I'm the problem, not everybody else. Pain is a teacher. Yeah, it is. You know, that's an interesting phrase right at the end that often in our world gets overlooked. Pain is a teacher. Absolutely, Rick. And God's love for humanity comes through pain oftentimes because it's through the pain of being out of harmony and out of favor by what we say, think, and do that brings us to the realization of what we need to do to be brought back. So Jesus then goes on to enhance this critical lesson of caring for the things of God. We're still in the, in the parable. At this point, the Pharisees are not at all happy with these lessons. And well, right, Rick, that's because they're being exposed yeah. for, for what they're doing. Yes, yeah, and they know it. And after this parable, we'll see, they get all bent out of shape. Jesus knows they're already bent out of shape. They're waiting for him to take a breath so they can tell him a thing or two. You know, because they have that entitled perspective of we're the mouthpieces of God. Who do you think you are? You, Jesus, the man who's healing the sick, who's, who's, who's showing them the kingdom, who's living up to the law, who's doing everything in accordance with the will of God. Who do you think you are? That's what entitlement does. It makes us all twisted. Anyway, back to Luke sixteen ten to 12. He was faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he was unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. So this is the core of the matter. The things of this world are little things. This world's experience is a test for future stewardship worthiness. The Jewish nation did not do that job well, and they lost it because they had the Messiah in front of them and as a nation, they rejected him. And these parables are about that. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that, which is another's, who will give you that, which is your own? So again, it's the, um, it's the responsibilities given. And when you look at both of these parables, the younger son just bolted by demanding what was to be his but shouldn't have been his yet. The older son looked at that once the younger son came back broken, a broken man uh, and said, you know, it's not fair that you are welcoming him back. I've been here all along. Excuse me, you've, you own everything now. He had no sense of the incredible responsibility and loyalty and opportunity that he had. In this parable, it's about not taking care of the little things. And if you can't do that for somebody for in this world, how can God trust you later? That's really what it comes down to. And the, the conclusion of the parable of the pounds shows us the grandness with which there will be a reward for those who are actually faithful. And that's in Luke 19, verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. You know, a pound in that story was worth like 60 bucks or something. And 
you know, we're not going through that particular story. But when you think about you take care of this pound and, you know, one person comes back with five and one person comes back with 10 pounds and, 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 and the reward for turning $60 into $600 is now you have authority over 10 cities. And the point is God gives us little things in this little life that we have and wants to reward us with big things, but he can't unless we're faithful to it. Israel lost their opportunity, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus was telling them, you have lost your opportunity. So, so what, what's happening here? Well, Jesus has plainly done a separating work, Rick. He's been given hope to those who were lost and a stern warning to those who deemed themselves worthy but lacked true godliness. So everybody is shown where they're off. That's how God loves us. He's willing to show us. And if that's not a God of love, I don't know what is. Uh, Let's continue back to the parable, Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So now Jesus has just finished saying, look, you've got to be faithful in the things of this world in handling money and handling responsibility and handling your job and and all of those things. And he's saying, but look, you can't serve those things because your heart has to be with God. So you do those things diligently as unto God. That's the point here. So how is God's love for humanity shown in this wrap-up statement of, these, of all of these four parables? Is expressed in his search for those who would put him before any and all others. Only upon the shoulders of such faithfulness, the kingdom can be administered. You know, that's the key. There has to be clear, unrelenting, unquestionable, unmitigated, totally uh, uh, founded faithfulness. And that's what he's showing. And he's saying, you, the, the, the Jewish nation, are not fulfilling that responsibility. Your time is short, and you are losing, and I've been, and like you said before, three and a half years he's been telling them. This is drawing near the end, and he's saying, you've lost a tremendously wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So he's telling them, he's trying to show them very clearly that they're missing out. What is the reaction of the Pharisees? Exactly what Jesus described, Rick. <laughs> okay. And you know, this is kind of a funny place to end our podcast, but we're going to do it. Luke 16, verses 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So (laughs) they were lovers of money, they were listening, and they're scoffing, like, this guy does not know anything. Who does he think he is? And, you know, they got this sense of, uh, of, of superiority, of entitlement, and that entitlement doesn't come from serving God. Jonathan, it comes from serving self. And Jesus says, look, you are those who justify yourselves before men, not before God. But God knows. He knows what's in your heart. And I would add, you also know what's in there, but you're just hiding it. 
And Rick, this would lead to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus next. And that parable is grossly misunderstood in many, many cases. We're not going through that parable in this series. We've done that parable several times before. But that parable shows us the actual loss of favor and the being, being put off and put on the shelf, put aside, and having Gentile favor come in. This parable was to prepare the disciples to say, you are going to, as Christians, going to be the chosen ones now through which the stewardship of God's plan will be handled. What are you going to do with it? And in the rich man and, in the rich man and Lazarus, he painfully shows the Pharisees that you've lost. It's over. It's just over. So, last point on God's love for humanity, what is it? Well, Rick, it's unshakable. His plan and purposes show us his eternal heart. These four parables are a dramatic expression of God's love for humanity. We started with the parable of the lost sheep, the entire world being lost, and Jesus coming to find the world and save the world, the lost coin, the fact that the, 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 the humanity's position in relation to God's creation was lost and also needed finding. How was that to happen? Well, God chose, had his chosen people, and he chose Israel, and Israel did not live up to their responsibilities and privileges and opportunities. So the parable of the um, prodigal son, yeah. mm-hmm. it shows that Israel was essentially in two categories, those who pretended to be faithful and those who just weren't. Neither one was good. And then we finally come to the parable of the, um, the unjust steward, and we see that what Jesus is saying is, you've lost it because you were lazy, you were complacent, you didn't care about God, you only cared about yourself, and you could have so easily done the right thing, but your heart was not in it. So folks, let's make sure that we, as stewards of the gospel, do it from the heart, from the inside out. Learn these lessons so we can be faithful to the incredible, wonderful, magnificent opportunities we are given now and later. Think about it. Folks, listen. We really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions. All kinds of ways to do that in iTunes, in Apple Podcasts, in Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week we'll be talking about how do I live a life of repentance? And I will tell you that that program follows this one on purpose Because to be faithful to opportunity, we need to master the art of repenting for our sins. Talk to you next week.